Hello, thanks for joining us today on the Faith Alive Christian Fellowship Podcast. May God bless, keep, and equip you with today's message. So welcome everybody today. We're gonna begin a a series on the tabernacle. Uh, Very excited about it. And uh, as we listen to this, our prayer is that you will grow in your relationship with God the Father. That as we share, we share a lot of information, but we pray for a lot of revelation that uh, God revealed so much in the tabernacle itself that uh, we're not gonna go into every detail, but we will go into a fair bit as we go. And uh, I guess the first thing that we want to emphasize is that God has always desired to dwell with man. If you don't get anything else out of this series, understand that God's great love for his creation, mankind, is propelled by a strong desire to have fellowship with his creation. That is God's purpose and goal in everything that goes on. And uh, another thing that we wanna be cognizant of is that Adam, in his sin against the father, how significant that sin really, really was. And it's good to understand that. And one thing as we study the tabernacle that we'll discover is that God shows us the magnitude of what that was and how much that had uh, brought man down from the state he was originally created. And the good news is that God is endeavoring, has endeavored through Jesus Christ to bring man back, amen, to the position that he wanted him to be in. And so the tabernacle reveals so many aspects of this to us and our prayers, it will enrich, enrich your faith and be able to share some of these things. And it does open our eyes to uh, how much love God has. And so the first part we we titled, God Desires to Dwell with Man. And you know, God himself is the one who initiated the tabernacle. Man didn't build the tabernacle trying to find God. God initiated the tabernacle itself so he could dwell with man. Amen. Uh, Secondly, Well, along with that, first point is that God wanted man to be able to dwell with him, but because of the fall of Adam, there was things that had to take place in order for that to even happen so man would not be destroyed by the very presence of God himself because man is in a fallen state. And then secondly, uh, the tabernacle along these lines kept God's people from self-destruction, kept an entire nation an entire nation until Jesus could come on the scene. The tabernacle and the law served as keeping this nation from self-destruction until Messiah could come. And there's a third thing too, and this is, this is some of the things we'll get into in the study, is that the layout, the construction, all the materials used, even the dimensions of the tabernacle, all are significant. They all have meaning and they all reveal things to us about Jesus, amen. They reveal things to us about the church. They reveal things to us about our very makeup. We're gonna find out that they reveal the whole plan of God's redemption is revealed in the tabernacle itself. And so it's a teaching tool to bring us to Christ. It's been said that in the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed and in the New Testament, Jesus is revealed. And so we're gonna look at a lot of things that we would call shadows and types. In Galatians 3, uh, 
23 to 24, it tells us that God kept his people under the law for the faith that would afterward be revealed. And verse 24 says, the law was our teacher to bring us to Christ. So a lot of things we're gonna look at are gonna show that man cannot be righteous without Jesus Christ. Amen, good news, man can be righteous with Jesus Christ. Sin was great, but God is greater. Hallelujah, thank God for that. Hallelujah. And uh, in Hebrews 8, it says, the ministry of the priest in the tabernacle was a shadow of the heavenly things. In verse five, we're reminded that God said to Moses, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So in the tabernacle, we see God has given us a revelation really of his whole, again, his whole plan of redemption. And so as we look at, as we look at the, the, the architecture of the tabernacle, we wanna see the architect himself. You know, if you look at a painting, it's one thing to look at a painting or a book, uh, if you look at a painting, it's one thing to know that painting. It's another thing to know the artist. If you read a book, it's one thing to know the book. It was a whole other thing to know the author of the book. And so the, the architect of the tabernacle, his whole purpose was for us to come to know him, not just his creation, right? So we're gonna go through some of these. We're gonna do kind of a intro today with some detail, but as we go forward, we're gonna look, especially to do with the furniture of the tabernacle, we're gonna look into those in, in a fair bit of depth. And it's, it's so rich. It is so full of the truth of God, the revelation of God. It shows his great care and it's amazing. So we're gonna get into some of that, but I wanna start today, uh, number one, and again, we're gonna say this a lot today, God desires to dwell with man. That's the reason he created man, was so he could have a family and dwell and fellowship with them. Remember, it says God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God himself visited with them every morning. He longs for fellowship with man from the original creation. And uh, I wanna show you something, uh, but before we go to that part, go to Exodus 25, because it's good to read this in the word. Exodus chapter 25, and I'm gonna just read verses eight and nine. We may reference these a fair bit. Exodus 25, verses eight and nine. God speaking, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That shows God's heart. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Number one takeaway, God saying that I may dwell among them. Again, God initiated the tabernacle, not man. God wanted to be able to dwell among his people and have a closer relationship than just be a benevolent creator off in the distance. God wants more than people just to think, well, he made all this, great. No, he wants us to know him personally. He wants to personally redeem us. We'll get more into that as we go through this study. So uh, remember when Adam and Eve fell, uh, God had been walking with them in the cool of the day daily. And after the fall, this is amazing. After the fall, God goes looking for them and he knew they had fallen. So God didn't wait till they made a mistake and then throw them to the side. No, he went seeking for them. After they fell in, in Genesis three and verse eight, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
This is after they've fallen. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Something's changed here. They've fallen. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Can you hear God saying that to fallen people? Where are you? I'm looking for you. Where are you? Amen, shows the heart of God. We can go over to the next chapter. You can follow this theme through. You can see where the first, uh, the first murder really in the word was obviously Cain killing Abel, his brother. And after that terrible deed was done, uh, the Lord went to Cain and sought him out. And he said something interesting. He said, he said uh, to Cain, where's your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, he knew. He was just, just telling a lie there. And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. We're gonna find out as we study the tabernacle that sin causes a, a judgment to cry out for taking care of that sin. And so an innocent man in this instance, Abel was killed and God said, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. Well, when Adam had sinned, all that, all that he gave up and transferred over to Satan, all of that, the magnitude of that sin, as I said before, we're gonna discover the magnitude of Adam's sin. It's okay to know how bad that was because it makes you appreciate how great salvation is. Billy Graham used to say, I, can, I can't tell anyone about the love of God and the mercy of God without first showing them that they've broken God's law and they're under the judgment of that breaking of that sin. And so the good news is Jesus came to make it all right. Sin was great, but God was greater. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so God, amen, uh, was seeking, is seeking, continued to seek out man even in a fallen state. You think about it, he could have just said, I'm starting over, I'm done with them, That's, I don't even want them, but he didn't. He, he had a plan of redemption despite what mankind had done. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna look at some things to do with the tabernacle. We've got a couple images. We're gonna put up the first one in a bit here on the tabernacle. And... Uh, so I'm gonna give you a little bit of information and then we're gonna go into that and look at it in some of the significance. We'll come back to these different uh, furnishings of the, of the tabernacle, but you've got, uh, starting from the right, kind of working to the left, the altar of burnt offering, the laver, the lampstand, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the veil, and the Ark of the Covenant. We're gonna talk about each one of those things individually and, and hopefully we'll see a lot of uh, Amazing things as we look those up. And another thing that we wanna look at is that the tabernacle had three parts. It had the court, the holy place, and the most holy place. God did that on purpose, by the way. He did that in three aspects. God himself has three parts. You'll see how this is, this is so layered and so deep, it, just, it never ends, really. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have three parts. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, right? And so all of these things, as we study these furnishings, they will start to kind of have a, a, a resonating theme that you'll realize that they pertain to more than just this structure out in the middle of the desert. But there's way more to this that God is revealing to us about him and about us. And so I'm gonna uh, just... 
because we're just introing a lot of this, I wanna share uh, from Exodus 24, God uh, gave a list of materials that were required for the tabernacle. And this is in Exodus 24. And a lot of this we will come back to. And I'm gonna read right through the 25th chapter into part of the 25th chapter. So we're Exodus 24, 16, and we're gonna read right on through the, the, the chapter break there. So it says, now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud, went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. God's always been about a willing heart, right? And he said, now notice the order, even the order that God puts these in is significant. We're gonna, we're gonna go into that in a little bit. He says, and this is the offering you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that, here it is again, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you that is in the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Now look at these things in order that God listed that people could willingly offer. First of all, gold. Gold represents heavenly deity. It represents incorruption. Did you know out of all the metals, gold is one metal that can never corrupt. This is why people who go looking for shipwrecks in the ocean love to go on a gold wreck because if they find a coin on the bottom of the ocean, it will be as shiny and as gold 400 years later as it was when it fell there because gold does not corrupt. Gold is God's metal, it depicts incorruption. Silver, amen, is a metal that we associate with redemption. You'll see in the Bible that slaves, it's always listed where slaves were purchased, people were purchased and sold, was in silver. Silver has to do with redemption. Uh, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He became a slave, amen, for that. Uh, jo uh, Joseph was sold by his brothers for 30 pieces of silver, I believe it was 30, to the uh, Egyptians, he was purchased. So silver has been linked to redemption. It has to do with redemption. Brass, I'm just going through them in the order that God listed them there, that is a symbol of judgment. Brass is always a symbol of judgment in the word. You're gonna see how this fits together in a minute. Stay with me. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread they have to do with heaven's virtue, royalty, and sacrifice. Blue has to do with true righteousness. You ever heard someone say, that's a true blue person? It means that they're true, they're honest, they're true, they're faithful. Uh, purple is a royal color, isn't it? You see royalty wears purple. The, in, in ancient times, only the wealthy and the nobles could afford actually even the purple dyed garments. That was limited to only the wealthy because the dye itself was extremely expensive. 
And then scarlet, we know what that relates to. That relates to uh, sacrifice. That has to do with the sacrifice, the blood of sacrifice. And so uh, blue, purple, and scarlet. Now you're gonna see in a minute why I'm listing these this way. Heaven's virtue plus royalty plus sacrifice. Then we, God talks about fine linen. Fine linen in the Bible is, is spoken of in the New Testament as the righteousness of the saints given to them by God. So it's not something they could create because the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. But it's depicted the, the saints clothed in fine white linen shows that God imparted righteousness to those people. All right, somebody's cluing in here. Number seven is oil for the light. That has to do with revelation. That is, that is always depicted as revelation, bringing light on the scene, enlightenment. Uh, Paul said, I pray God would open the eyes of your enlightenment, the eyes of your understanding, that you could understand some things. So it has to do with revelation. Spices for the anointing oil and sweet incense. That is pictures of the Holy Spirit anointing, Holy Spirit anointing for sacrifice of his people even and the very presence of God. All right, uh, then we have the onyx stones and stones to be set. That is, that is the equivalent of the saints building and being built into the church of God. Lively stones being set in place. We'll go back to that one uh, probably later and, and do a little more on that. Amen. So now here's what I wanna do. I wanna read you these ingredients, uh, these materials in the order that God put them and what they represent. And it literally tells the gospel story. Now, so I'm, talk about, I'm gonna talk about gold, silver, brass, what they represent and read you all those things in the order God wrote them. From heavenly deity, gold, will come redemption, silver, through judgment, brass. A cord of heaven's sinlessness with royalty and then sacrifice will produce the fine linen for the saints. Jesus' sacrifice. Atonement for the original sin of mankind plus the individual sin is provided. And I think I might've jumped over that. That was the ram skins and the badger skins. Those represent atonement. Do you remember, I'll come back to what we're reading here in a sec. Do you remember when Adam and Eve fell, the first thing God had to do was slay an innocent animal and put skins, animal skins on Adam and Eve for covering. That is more significant than just it was cold outside. That is representing that where there is, uh, <laughs> there is no remission, where there is no sacrifice, there's no remission of sins. And so God himself slayed the first sacrifice to cover the sin of man. It didn't eliminate it, but it covered it. And so badger skins talk about atonement. Why does it, why does it talk about uh, ram skins and badger skins? Original sin plus personal sin. You see, we need redemption, not just from what Adam did, not just what great grandpa Adam did, but we need personal, amen, salvation, don't we, from Jesus Christ. We need them both. We need to have a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Amen, this thing is personal. And then the acacia wood is actually symbolic of Jesus' humanity. 
Acacia wood is one of the most durable woods ever on the face of the earth. It has strong qualities about it. It's a very dense wood. It can take the weather and it also does not get corrupted. They use it for even lawn furniture, decking, acacia wood, furnitures. It's a very valuable, expensive wood. And so God's depicting the humanity of Jesus. And I'm gonna show you that again in another thing uh, as acacia wood. It's a type of the humanity of Jesus. And so I'm gonna go back and read this. The atonement, so we're talking about the badger skins. We're in order here. The righteousness of man became uh, a result of the atonement for original sin plus individual sin provided because God came in the flesh. There's your acacia wood, the flesh, the human part of Jesus, it came. Then we're going on to the oil and the spices. This revelation will produce a sacrifice and the fragrance of God and the saints of God, we're now on the stones, the saints of God are building and being built into a dwelling place for God. Do you see what God just did there? He told the whole gospel story by a list of materials and what they represent. This, this just sort of reveals, this is kind of the thing you're gonna start to notice as we look at the tabernacle, that God has details in it that reveal who he is, things about redemption as we go. Hallelujah. There's several of these in the word. We may, we may touch on those. Um, now I'm just gonna give a brief overview of uh, the seven pieces in the tabernacle, and we've, we've discussed these. Um, and one thing that a lot of teachers do is they'll start at the outer court and work their way into the holy of holies as they explain the types and shadows. And, and, uh, but what I wanted to do was share it as God shares it in the word, because the first piece of furniture God talks about is the ark. And so I'd like to start with the ark of the covenant in the holy of holies, Amen, on purpose. And uh, if we can put up image number two there as we go here, I'm gonna read from uh, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 10. And we're gonna talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Now we probably won't get through everything today about the Ark of the Covenant, but it is interesting. It was in the Holy of Holies. And this, this is important in one aspect, it's in many, but in one aspect, that is the most inner part of the tabernacle. Remember we said there's three parts, outer court, inner court, holy, of holy, holy place, and the holy of holies, pardon me. And you have three parts. You have an outer court, you have a soul that's closer in, inside, and then you have a holy of holies. Well, it makes sense that God would start describing the Ark of the Covenant first because the most important transition in a person's life is to be changed on the inside, be born again. We do a lot of things to change our outside and it doesn't make us righteous. But the one thing we can do to become righteous is to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Be born again, born of the Spirit, and that's in the Holy of Holies. That's where that takes place. Amen. So we're gonna start there, Exodus 25, and I'm gonna read uh, from verse 10 here. It says, and they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Hmm. Now remember, acacia wood is symbolic of Jesus. And so, <laughs> I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because there's so much in this. But acacia wood, remember, represents Jesus' humanity. Okay, now just keep that in mind. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a half cubit and a half, and a cubit and a half its width. 
and a cubit and a half its height, and you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out, you shall overlay it, and you shall make it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, overlay them with pure gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. And then you shall make a mercy seat. Now the mercy seat, I'll just say it another way, is the lid for the ark, okay? The ark has two parts, the box part and it has the lid part. The lid part is called the mercy seat. And it's made of pure gold. I'm still reading in this passage, verse 12. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other. And you shall make the cherub of the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat, the lid, on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. So inside of the ark, this is really important, becomes the law, which was immediately broken, if you remember. It was broken. And uh, the acacia wood that was used on the box part of the ark, representing Jesus' humanity, was totally covered with gold. The lid was pure gold. The cherubim would face each other and the priest would sprinkle the blood. I'm just giving you what they're gonna do with this later. Sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, on top of the mercy seat. And it would, it would be enclosing the broken law, the law that was broken by man, the law that Adam broke, the high sin of treason against God that he willfully committed against God was represented by that. And so like we say, sin was great, but God was greater. God's showing us his mercy in this, in this ark. He's showing us that even though man had broken his law, Jesus, the man, came down covered with pure gold, but still human, 100% man and 100% God. Jesus came from heaven down. He wasn't a mixture, he was both. He just emptied himself of all of his deity when he came down. And so the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of Jesus himself taking on himself the broken law that Adam broke, and then he himself having his own blood sprinkled to protect us from the very law that was broken by one of us. You see the picture of mercy with the ark. It's an incredible picture of mercy, an amazing picture of mercy. And so Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. I'm trying not to jump ahead on some aspects of the Ark of the Covenant. We're gonna, we're gonna pick up on the Ark and move forward with the other furniture next time. But, but just a few scriptures about Jesus, his humanity and his deity to kind of illustrate in the word, show through the word what I'm saying. Matthew 1.24 says this, "'Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, "'and they shall call his name Emmanuel, "'which is translated God with us.'" 
fully God, fully man. Hebrews 2.14, inasmuch then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. What Jesus did took care of original sin. Amen. Amen. And Philippians 2.6, Jesus being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of men. And so he was fully God, emptied himself of all his privileges and became fully man, and yet he was still legally fully God. He was both. He was the acacia wood covered with the pure gold. He was the man of the earth covered with God's incorruption. He was the only one who could fix this thing. He was the only one who could make it right because he was the only one whose blood came from God the Father. Everyone else's blood came down through the human race, all the way back to Adam. And it should be no surprise, I'm gonna jump ahead just a little bit, that when the priests in the future would carry that ark in front of the children of Israel, when they crossed the Jordan River, they walked out into the Jordan River and God made it dry up and it says the river's backed up, the water's backed up all the way to the city of Adam because Jesus, the ark, is the one who fixed this thing all the way back to Adam. It's so powerful. Think about it. Think about it. There's more to this too. There's much more, much more. And so... uh, I just wanna read one scripture here and then we'll just, we'll just talk a little bit more, give you a little bit uh, more on the ark here. Philippians 2, chapter two and verse eight. So powerful, so powerful. Again, the magnitude of the sin of Adam against God was so great, only God himself could fix it. Man couldn't fix it. <laughs> only God himself could fix this for us. And the good news is he did. God's great love, hallelujah, so powerful. Philippians 2, it says, and I'm just gonna read from verse eight, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, speaking of Jesus, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now I wanna read a couple more uh, portions that pertain, they, they pertain to what's going on with the ark. And we're gonna talk more about the ark in, in lesson number two, as well as the other furnishings. But I wanna read just a couple more scriptures. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm gonna be reading uh, from verse 24. It says this, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an uncountable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn 
who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Remember, we were talking about Cain and Abel. There was a demand for judgment crying out. Abel's blood cried out for judgment. The sin of Adam, the whole earth cried out for judgment. And yet this tells us that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that blood. In other words, it speaks mercy. Jesus' blood speaks mercy. Mercy is me not getting what I deserved. (laughs) David said, surely goodness and loving kindness, your mercy is gonna follow me all the days of my life. God is merciful, but there must be an acknowledgement that the mercy needs to be applied for it to be applied with this second application. Jesus' blood has enough power to pay, pay for the price of all the sin of every human being on the earth. But the second part of that is it must be personally applied. I have to receive his sprinkling. I have to receive, amen, him as Savior and Lord. I can't just believe Jesus was a great guy and, and, and fall into the trap of saying, Jesus paid it all, he did it all, and I can just go and live my life how I want and never, ever know him. That's not salvation. There's, this, there's an application that's personal, isn't there? <laughs> isn't there? There's a personal application. I need the blood applied to me personally to fulfill this so that in, the, in my spirit, it can get replaced with the spirit of God and restored back. And that's why Jesus said of a great group of people in one passage, he said, depart from me, I never knew you. They knew all about him, but they didn't know him. We know all about God and never know him. That was the problem with the religious people in Jesus' day. He said, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You've cleaned up the inside. You've done all this thing in the outer court and you look religious and you look great and you look like you're good moral people. But on the inside, there's this sin problem that needs to get fixed that we cannot fix ourselves. So we probably should never spend time trying. Shouldn't bother trying, just yielding and asking God to fix the sin problem and then walk it out with him. Yeah, there's an effort to be made, absolutely. There is, but it's a personal, isn't it? It's a personal application. All right, I wanna read, I wanna close out this part uh, in Romans chapter three. I wanna show you something because everything about the tabernacle is is a shadow, is a type, is a depiction of something that's going to be revealed to us. So we've been talking about the ark and the mercy seat. Turn with me to Romans chapter three. I wanna show you something. And we will close out with this. Well, that went fast. Romans three, chapter three and verse 23. Look at this. For some have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, oh, I heard a cough in the auditorium. It doesn't say some, does it? Thank you for correcting me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All, A-double-L, all, all. You know, the, the biggest problem in our culture, one of the biggest problems is people don't think they're sinners. I heard John Hagee say this. He said, when you read the obituaries, everybody went to heaven. Come on. So this says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that would mean that all have committed sin, all were in the category of sinner before Jesus' blood is applied, right? Let me ask you this. I heard, I heard an evangelist say this years ago, how many lies do you have to tell? Have you ever, just, we could be honest. We could have an honest moment here, faith alive. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. 
in your life. I'm so glad that some of you never have. But if you had told a lie, <laughs> if you had ever told a lie, would it be fair to call you a liar? Sure it would, because you told a lie. Well, how many here, <laughs> I'm not, oh man. <laughs> Let me just say a blanket statement, I'll help you out. We have all sinned, because God says we have, and fallen short. So how many sins do you have to commit to be called a sinner? One. So if you've ever committed a sin, you're in the category of sinner, right? As the Bible says, you, 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 if you break one part of this law, you've broken it all. So anyone watching who thinks they're a great person and they're gonna go to heaven and say, I'm a better person than so-and-so down the street who called himself a Christian, let me in, is very deceived at this moment. Because the Bible says each one of us must give an account of ourselves before God. I have to say what I did with the gospel of Jesus Christ when I heard it. Did I accept it or reject it? See, it's on me. It's not on my neighbor down the street. Each one of us must give an account of ourselves. All have sinned. We're in that category before Jesus. The good news is we can be made righteous. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I just want to go on. I made it past the first verse here. Being, it says, all of sin comes fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, thank God, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth, there's a big word coming up, as a propitiation by his blood. The word propitiation in the Greek language, you uh, Strong's Concordant scholars, go look it up. You know what it means? The mercy seat. It means the lid on the Ark of the Covenant. It says God sent Jesus forth to be that mercy seat. It's a picture of who he really is. And that's where the blood was sprinkled. And that's where the blood speaks better things than judgment. It speaks mercy because it's on the mercy seat. Hallelujah. You see how God put these things in the tabernacle to show us a visual of what Jesus is really all about, what our redemption is all about. And we're gonna see it'll even show us about who the church is, what the church is about. It's, it's all encompassing. And we've really only scratched the surface. And I pray this encourages you. And you don't wanna miss as we go into the other furnishings of the, of the tabernacle, as we continue through, because it's gonna get richer and richer. And we're not done with the Ark of the Covenant. We're gonna see some more about that coming up. And by the way, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. You can do that right now. We've already established that God says all have sinned. So we've settled that argument. So all we have to do is acknowledge we need a savior. Very simple. Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need your salvation. I believe you died and rose from the dead to pay the price for my sin by your blood. And I thank you for becoming my savior and my Lord. I give my life to you in Jesus' name. A simple prayer just like that or in words that you have in your heart that cover those bases, God hears, God's just looking for an honest prayer to come in on the scene, amen, and fix what was broken, hallelujah. So God bless you today and we will see you for part two. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the online portion of this week's message, but we'd love to connect with you in person. Our services are held weekly at 10 a.m. Sunday mornings. 
upstairs at 3771 Broadway Avenue, Smithers, BC. If you're on the go and you'd like to participate in tithes and offerings, you can e-transfer them to facfsmithers at citywest.ca. Till next time, God bless and keep you from all of us here at Faith Alive Christian Fellowship.